as I was beginning to uh, to formulate my lesson this morning, I tried to determine what's going to be something something that I can say right off the bat to grab people's attention, or what's something that I can do to get people engaged immediately with me. Because one of the things about filling in preaching is that you're only up here once every you know several months, you know when Edwin's gone or something like that, and you still want to, to try and say something that will impact people's lives. You know, you, you so badly want to try and help in this, you know, you're kind of one opportunity for for a while. And so what can you say to immediately pull people in and keep them with you for, throughout the, the period of the sermon? And I thought about maybe I could begin with some uh, interesting illustration. You know, a story that would really pull you in. Maybe... Maybe a fancy PowerPoint, which, as you can see, I don't have. But instead, what I what I decided we would do is I would begin with a question, and if, and this question is going to serve to be the the basis around which the rest of of our lesson this morning is built. And the question is this: If the only picture of God the world ever sees is through our life and our actions, then what does that picture look like? Because I think you would agree with me that for some people, the only picture of God they are ever going to see is through us. They don't, they don't attend a, a congregation of God's people. They don't study the, uh, the Bible for themselves. And so really the only picture they're ever going to see is through our life and through our actions. Now, before we begin really looking at the, the, the question and getting into the heart of the lesson, I, I want to say a couple of things. The first being, in all honesty, and I'm just being completely open with you, this lesson really isn't meant to be one to encourage and to, and to uplift and to make us feel good. In, in fact, it's kind of the opposite. This is one of those lessons that if we honestly take the time while we're, while we're here together, for the few minutes that, I'm going to be, that we're going to be studying together, if we really take that time and really think about what is the picture that I am portraying to the world, then in fact, I, I think most of us probably won't leave feeling great. We'll, we'll leave feeling that there's things I need to work on. That there are things in my life that maybe I need to change. There are things that that I simply need to get rid of. We're not going to take a scripture and break it down and find the hidden truth and the hidden meanings in it. There are lessons that do that. What this lesson is meant to do is to help us look in the mirror examine ourselves in the light of God's Word and find out, am I showing the world what God wants me to? And so I hope you'll, I, I hope the lesson this morning will be beneficial to us. I hope it will cause us to think. I hope it will cause us to make changes if we see, if we, or, or in the areas in our life where we see we need to make those, those adjustments. But really, before we can really begin addressing the question, I have another question to ask that we really need to think about, and that is, do we really care what the picture is that we are displaying to the world? And before you disregard my question, stay with me, okay? Because remember, this, this lesson, this, this time of study is all about being honest with ourselves and really examining ourselves. And so before we disregard the question and say, well, of course I care. Of course I, want, I, I care about what the world sees. Let's really stop and think. It's easy to say we care, but do our actions say something different? 
while we're here together, do we say, yes, of course we care, but then when we go out and we leave and we go out into, our, into work, into school, into the soccer practice, into all the things that we do, do our actions show, do our actions show that we really care? There's a passage that came to mind when I was thinking about this, and I appreciate Kurt for reading it for us. It was from John 17. And, and we're going to read it again here in just a minute because I think, because as I was preparing, this, this particular passage came to mind because of what Jesus prays for here for his followers. This is the time when Jesus is nearing his crucifixion, the, the arrest and betrayal are at hand, and he knows what's going to happen. And so he's praying to, to his Father. He's spending some time with God. And, and he specifically prays here, beginning of verse 13, for those who are following him, for his disciples. And let's read it again together. John 17, beginning, beginning of verse 13. He, he, Jesus prays, But now I come to you, of course, him speaking to, to God, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's interesting a couple of things he, the things he prays for here about his followers. He prays that they will be kept from the evil one in verse 15. He prays that they will be sanctified by the word, by the truth. And he prays that they will be one. And notice at the end what he says. Why, is he, why does he want them to be one? Why is he praying for these things? So that the world may believe that God sent him. What, what, he was, what he's wanting is, he was wanting his followers to be the picture to the world. He's saying, I want them to be able to look at my followers, see the unity that they have, and realize that's what I'm about. He wanted his followers to be the picture to everyone else of his teaching. I think the exact same thing applies for us today. We need people to be able to look at us and see through our life and see through our action and say, that's what it's about. That's what serving God is about. That's what following Christ is about. They are someone whom I, who I can emulate because I know by their lives and by their actions that they're doing what's right. Being the picture of a servant of God. Being a picture of one of His, of, of, of one of his followers. Do we really care? Do we really care about the picture that we are displaying or portraying for everyone else? If we do, our actions will show. If we do, the way we conduct ourselves day to day, the things that we say, the places we go, the, the, uh, the decisions we make, if we really care about what we're showing to the world, then our actions will bear that out. But if we don't really care, our actions will show that as well. Because the things that we say will ring hollow because our, our life doesn't support it. 
if we really care about the picture, if we really care about, about the example and the influence we're placing upon other people by how we live our life, then when we see that our picture is a little bit blurry, when we see that maybe our, 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 the picture of our life doesn't completely match up with the picture that God shows us in His Word, then we're going to change. No matter how painful it may be, no matter how, how difficult it may be to make the changes, if we really care about being the example to the world that God calls us to be, then when our picture doesn't quite align with the picture of God's Word, we're going to change. We aren't just going to say we're going to change, we're actually going to. And so that's why I start here by saying, before we really start talking about the, the, the nuts and bolts of this, we have to ask, do we really care? Do we care enough that we're going to, to not only say I'm going to change in these particular areas, but do we actually follow through on it? Because words can be empty. It's our actions and it's, it's, it's what we do afterwards that really demonstrates whether we take these things to heart or whether we really are, are honest and mindful of being that example to the world around us. So now, we'll get to the crux of the matter. Because what, what this entails, what this is going to have to do is we're, we're going to have to be willing to, to stop and look at ourselves in every aspect of our life and compare it to the picture that is painted for us in the Word of God. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to go through every single area of life because that would take us too long. But what I do want us to do is to take the Word of God and see the pictures that are painted or the pictures that are created for us in the Word of God, and I want us to compare and contrast our life to it. Here's what the Word of God says. How... How does my picture measure up? Well, but Jonathan, how can we do that? Because, you know, I, I can't control what other people think. People are going to think what they want to. I can't control that. Maybe to a, to a point I agree with. If somebody, if somebody doesn't like me, there, there may not be anything I can do to change their mind. But where this is concerned, I believe we can influence the way people think. Because of how we act, because of how we conduct ourselves in every situation, I think I think we may we may sometimes want to hide behind that excuse. Well, I can't control what they think, so I'm not going to worry about it. Yes, we can. Don't let don't allow that excuse to keep us from working towards what God wants us to be. And remember, I know I'm, I'm throwing out a lot of disclaimers here, but I think this is important. Remember, we're not talking about what we hope people see in us. We're not, we're not trying to, we're not, we're not painting some great image of ourselves and saying, well, this is what I hope people see. No, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to strip away all of that and get down to the heart of the matter and ask what are people actually seeing in us. And I can't answer that for you. And you can't answer that for me. Because I'm not with you all the time. And you're not with me all the time. I am with me all the time. I know the picture that I'm creating for the people around me because of the things that I say when you're not around or the, the, the places that I go when you're not around. You see, this, this, this is one of those times when we've got to turn it all inward and take that painful examination and look at ourselves in light of the Word of God. 
So think about this last week. Think about how you acted. Think about what you said. Where you went. What you wore. Your attitude. Your work ethic. Your decision making. What picture did you did you create for the people around you? While you were at school, what picture did you create for the people around you? While you were at work, when you went to soccer practice, when you went to the PTA meeting, when you went to the grocery store, when you did whatever you did this past week, what picture were you creating for the people around you by the, by the things that you did? Well, let's take a look at some pictures that are, that are created in the Word of God and let's compare ourselves to them. Let's begin, let's begin by talking about the speech, the use of, of the tongue. I'm turning over to James chapter 3, a passage that is that's familiar to most of us. But if not, it, it's, if it's not familiar to you, it's a very enlightening passage. Because it talks about the danger of one of the smallest members of the body. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. James writes, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such uh, we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits in the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct the entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder uh, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very wor- uh, world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. You know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting the parallel he, he, he pulls out here about how the ship is directed by such a small rudder and how, but yet how that small thing directed that, that big ship. How small a member of the body our tongue is and how maybe even overlooked sometimes it is, but what danger and what problems it can get us into. You'll turn back to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 33, Jesus here, he talks about how the words reveal who we really are. You know, the the words reveal a person's character. Verse 33 of Matthew chapter 12 Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall be given an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Clearly, clearly the Bible has something to say about how we use our tongue, about the things that come out, 
about the about the way we we interact and we speak to other people, the things that we say. How dangerous and how damaging evil things spoken can be. So the question is, understanding the fact that the, the tongue can get you in trouble, and the fact that obviously there there needs to be some control over the things that we say. What does the picture of our life show when it comes to our speech? When it comes to how we we communicate with our coworkers or our neighbors or our friends or general acquaintances that we come across. If we were to ask the people we are around on a daily basis, what would they say about our speech? What would they say about the things that come out of our mouth? Would they say, I never hear him say anything bad. I've, ne- I've, never heard a, I've never heard a curse word come out of his mouth. I've never heard him, you know, display any kind of, you know, uh, say anything off color. I've never heard him gossip. I've never heard him say a bad word about anyone. I've never heard anything come, bad come out of his mouth. Is that what they would be able to say about us? Or, or might they say, well, I know who to go to to get the latest dirt on somebody. Jonathan always knows. He always knows what's going on with somebody at work or somebody at school or somebody that we worship with. Would they say, man, I tell you, he's always, he's, he's always good for, for one of those kind of dirty jokes. He's always got one, and they're always funny. Jonathan's always got. Jonathan's always got something to say. You see the thing. The, the thing about this one is. Aside, aside from, from, from Julie, I don't see any of you every day. Julie and I work at the same place. So I see her. I see her every day. But even then, she's not. She's not following me around every single minute. See, the trick about this one is, I don't. I may not say those things here. I may be on my best behavior while I'm here. It's while I'm everywhere else when I'm not around the influence of the people of God. What are the things that come out of my mouth? When we're interacting with our friends at school, when we're interacting with our coworkers or our neighbors, what's the picture we're painting by the things that are coming out of our mouth? Are we painting that picture that that God wants us to? A picture of joy, a picture of happiness, a picture of loving, uh, of loving and caring and serving God? Or are we painting a picture of all these other things? These off-color comments, the dirty jokes, the the curse word. We can we can go a long way towards ruining a reputation by the things that we say. And I'll stand. I'll 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 be the first one to tell you I'm guilty of I'm guilty of those things of saying things I shouldn't of laughing at jokes that I shouldn't laugh at. So we have to stop and think. What's the picture that I'm creating? 
with how I use this small member of my body. What are other people seeing? Are they seeing God coming out through my speech or are they seeing something else? They're seeing something else. Maybe we need to start working on how we how we start working on how we talk and how we use the tongue that God has given us. Well, let's think about something else. What is the picture of, what is the picture of our life in, in comparison to the picture of God's uh, God's word when it comes to worldly possessions? When it comes to stuff. What does the Bible have to say about that and what does my life say about it? Well, there are, two, there are two stories that are probably very familiar to, to, to most. In Matthew 19 is the first one I'm going to. There was a young man who came to Jesus. And he had great intentions. He wanted to serve Jesus. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to know what was good so that he could ta- obtain eternal life. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which one? And Jesus answered, or which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall, shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grievous, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. We look at that young man and we think, how, how tragic. How sad. He, from the surface, he seems like such a good person. He was right there. He won everything that, that God had to offer. And yet he allowed the world to possession to interfere with his, with his service to God. Over in Luke chapter 12, Jesus also uses another parable to, to teach us a lesson about this. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16, it says, And Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid, or you have goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? You see, you have two, you have two stories here. And on one hand, you have the... the the rich young ruler that we normally call him, who was seeking after God, and yet he allowed the worldly possessions to get in his way. You have the other one who really, it appears, had no thought of God, and he allowed the worldly possessions to be all that it was that he was focused on. Two very sad pictures of people who allowed themselves to become so distracted by trying to get stuff, but they didn't have their mind set on really what was most important. And so what are we taught about that? Well, again, back in the book of Matthew, I apologize. I know we're going back and forth of Scripture and Scripture. I probably should have, should have put them up on a PowerPoint for us, but I didn't. Back, back in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, here's what Jesus says about it. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where there, where there is neither moth nor rust, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you have the, you have the obvious picture that's painted here. You have these two people who, who we can look at and say they were obsessed with their worldly things. And how sad their story is. You have what Jesus says here about not laying up ourselves treasures on earth, but laying up in heaven, so that we can go to where the eternal treasure is. That's the picture. The picture isn't down here. The picture is up there. But what about us? See, again, it comes right back to us. Where's the focus? What is the, what is the picture that we're creating for everyone around us? Are we telling everyone around us, I want to, I want to go to heaven, that's the most important thing for me. But then we're working ourselves to the bone to buy the new car and the new house and the latest thing, the latest gizmo that comes out. Now, I'll tell you. And Joellen will back me up on this. I love new stuff. All the new things that are coming out, I can't tell you how, how much I've been bugging here about like an iPhone or something like that. Not that I need it, but just because I want it. But how do we, how often do we allow ourselves to become so focused on the wants that we forget about what's truly important? That that focus of that treasure in heaven. And so when, when, when people ask us, well, what are you working for? I'm working for retirement. I'm working for that time when I can when I can cash in and I can lay back and I can go on trips and I can do all this. What are we working for? I'm working to go to heaven. You see, that's the picture that's painted here. Because you can look at the rich young ruler and you can look at this, the, the other the other parable and you can see where they were working for. They were working for now the things that they had here. And they that's all they had. Jesus says, don't work for here. Work for after here. And so when it comes to, to how much time we, we, we spend trying to get all the things that the world has to offer, what's that, what's that taking away? That's taking away the time and the effort and the energy that we should be spending here. So the picture that God creates is one who's focused on, on the after, the after now. The picture that's painted here is the eternal treasure. What's the, pic- what's the picture that we're creating? Perhaps we need to spend less time on the nine to five. Trying to get a little more money, trying to get a little better job, trying to get advanced up the corporate ladder or whatever it may be. Maybe we need to spend a little less time on the nine to five and spend a little more time in the Word of God. Refocusing ourselves on the true treasure. What picture? What picture are we creating for the people around us? When it comes to modesty. When it comes to what what we choose to wear. Now guys, don't drift off. A lot of times, I'm guilty of this too. We hear the, we, we hear modesty come up, and what do we automatically think? He's going to talk to the women. I am going to talk to the women. But guys, we, we have we have something in this as well. We have a part to play in this as well. 
Because there's, from the very beginning, there's an example that modesty applies to both men and women. Think back with me. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned and they realized they realized their sin, what did both of them do? Go back to Genesis 3. It says they found a way to cover themselves. Why? Because they realized the exposure of their nakedness was shameful. They realized that they needed to, to cover themselves, to hide. To hide themselves because of the, of the shame of being completely and utterly naked. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I found a passage that, probably to my, uh, maybe not, doesn't speak too well with me, that I had never noticed before in the book of Isaiah. And it talks about how, how it was a shameful thing to draw attention to the private parts of the body and how the, the fact that that was often a form of judgment that was going to be used against, against some of these nations. If you don't mind, turn back to Isaiah chapter 47. And I want you to listen. This, this, in this particular part of the book of Isaiah, it's a lament for Babylon. It's because of the, the judgment that's coming upon them. And listen to, to, to what it's talked about here. Isaiah chapter 47, beginning in verse 1. It says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and the grind mill. Now, here we go. Remove your veil. Strip off the skirt. Uncover the leg. Cross the rivers. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Your shame will also be exposed. I will take vengeance and will not spare, will not spare a man. Now, think about that. He's saying on this, on this nation that's going to be judged, he said they're going to strip off the veil. They're going to uncover the, they're going to remove the skirt. Their nakedness will be exposed. To shame them. Has our society gotten this backwards somewhere along the way? You look around the world around us and all that kind of stuff, and what is it? It appears that the more skin you show, the better off it is. That's not what we're seeing here. We're seeing God saying, this nation, your nakedness is going to be exposed to shame you. I find, that, I find that incredibly interesting. That the world in which we live that surrounds us and, and the clothes that people wear, or maybe more appropriately, the clothes that people don't wear, seems like a badge of honor. When really what it should be is shameful. A disgrace to be seen that way. There's another clear, there's another clear picture of this painting in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 13, there's no doubt that this is something we have to consider. Because the Bible is very clear that we must not provide opportunities for fleshly lusts. Look at Romans 13, beginning at verse 13. Paul writes, Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So we, we may want to say, well, that was, that was something that was being said in the book of Isaiah to the people of Babylon, and that doesn't really apply. Well, this definitely is something that we need to take to heart. He says here, don't provide any opportunity for the fleshly lusts. 
I think it's kind of interesting here. It says, put on Christ. Put something on. Don't take things off. So when we think about the picture that we are that we are creating for the world around us through the things that we wear, when they look at how we are dressed, do they see someone who is put on Christ? Now, don't don't misunderstand that I think that we should never, or let me put it this way. But I think we should wear burlap sacks and never be able to dress fashionably or dress in a way that looks that just looks nice. I'm not saying that. But the way the way the majority of the world around us dresses today is far from the picture that is painted here. And so when it comes to the things that, that we choose to to wear, what's the picture? When we choose to put on things that are so tight, it leaves no, it leaves no, nothing to the imagination. What's the picture we're creating? When guys choose to, to take their shirt off when they go out and they, they, they cut the grass or they go to the beach or they're playing basketball or whatever it may be, what's the picture we're creating? Now, I will speak specifically to, to women for this particular point. When women wear things that are that are too low cut, when, that, that when you when you move, when you when you lean over, when you go to do anything, the, the shirt the shirt drops open. I, because I'll tell you, guys notice. What's the picture we're creating? I can't tell you now. I, I, it's it's amazing. How many women are seen wearing wearing shirts that are so tight and words right across the right across the top? What's what's the picture that, that, that you're trying to get? You're trying to get people to look. The things that we choose to put on, what picture is that creating for everyone else? Is it the picture? In their mind, will they will they be able to look at us and say, "That's someone who's put on Christ." Or will they look after us in a lusting way? Because of how we've chosen to to adorn ourselves. Well, they should control what they're thinking. They they shouldn't lust after me. I agree. They shouldn't. But you shouldn't be enticing them by the things that, that, that you're wearing. I'm not going to get into how short is too short, how tight is too tight. I, I'm not going to get into that. But the thing you have to think about, the thing we have to consider, is when I go to put something on and I'm leaving this and I'm leaving my house, when someone looks at me, what picture are they seeing? Is it one who's put on Christ or is it one who blends in with everyone else in the world? I appreciate the song that Gordon that Gordon laid at the very beginning because it's based upon Matthew 6 and verse 33 which talks about seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does our life, what does the picture of our life create 
to everyone else when it comes to putting God first. See, this one really goes back, I think, to, to when I was asking about do we really care. You know, saying we really care is one thing, but actually caring is another. Because it's very easy for us to say, oh, yes, I put God first in my life. God is the number one thing. That's very easy for us to say. But do our actions paint or create the same picture? When we say we, we, we're going to put God first, we're going to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, does our life back that up? When we allow work to come first, when we allow soccer practice or basketball practice or PTA or name something to come before gathering to, to worship God, are we putting God first? When we allow schoolwork and studying for a big test to come before gathering together to study the Bible, And we allow everything that we want to do to come before being a servant to other people. You see, is, is our life really painting the picture to everyone that yes, we truly put God first? Or is it painting the picture that I say I put God first after me? And guys, I'm not up here saying that I don't do that. Because I do. I know there are times, where, there, there are areas where I put myself first rather than putting God first. And so, what do we do about it? You know, this list, this list could go on and on. We could talk about our hospitality. We could talk about our caring and our giving and our loving for, for our brethren. We could talk about a myriad of other issues. But we're running out of time. What do we do when the picture of God's Word shows us something and our life doesn't match up to it? And that's how we're going to end our lesson this morning. By thinking just for a couple more minutes about when God's picture says one thing and my life is something else, what do we do about it? How do we fix it? Well, I think it's... I'm going to say it's simple. But actually carrying it out may be quite difficult. You'll see there again. Saying it's one thing, actually doing it something actually doing it is something else. When our life doesn't match the picture that is created in God's Word, what do we do? Well, I believe we have to understand what the picture should be. And then we need to clean up the smudges in our life. The only way we can we can fully match our life to the picture of God's Word is to spend time in God's Word. It's that easy. Because you see what we've done here this morning. We've just taken a few issues and we've, we've gone to the Bible and we said, okay, what does the Bible say about that? And then we ask ourselves, what does my life say about it? And see, we can do that with, with all the areas of our life. We can, we, we can take time and we can look at the, the Word of God and we can say, okay, here's what the Word of God says, now what am I doing? But see, too many times what we do is we say, what am I doing? And how does that compare to everybody else around me? Oh, I'm pretty good. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about looking at the true Word 
asking, what does it say? And then fixing my life to it. The only way we can do that, brethren, is to spend time in it. Every day, allowing the Word of God to be the light to our feet and a lamp to our path. That David writes about in Psalm 119. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, as Paul is writing to the younger man, Timothy, what does he tell him about, about the Scripture? He said, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. You see, what this has for us is everything we need. And so as we're, as we're, we're contemplating our life and as we're looking at how, how do I act and what do I do, I don't see how we can get around the fact that we've got to spend time in this, in this book every day. And because he doesn't do it, I'll do it for him. I'll put a little, little plug in for Edwin. A lot of you here may, may follow along. If you don't, here's a good time to start. There's a website called GiveAttentionToReading.com. And what that, what that site is, it's a site that Edwin maintains, where, where he reads through the Bible every day, and he'll post food for thought. You know, what he got out of the reading that day. It's a great place to go. It's a great thing to keep up with because you're not only you're not just reading by yourself, you're getting the thoughts of other people and you can comment and you can follow along and you can do all these things. But it's the idea that we have to spend time understanding the picture of what God wants our life to be. And then now this is this is the this is the difficult part. As we understand his picture. It may mean we have to change our life completely. Just like Saul of Tarsus did. Think about what Saul had to do. Saul spent, his, Saul spent the early part of his life persecuting Christians, going down the path, thinking this was the way that he should go, and then he met, he met Jesus on the road, and he had to turn 180 degrees and go the other way. Well, as we begin to, to examine the Word of God, and we see the picture of what God wants us to be, we may have to do the exact same thing. We may have been going down this path for so long, but we've got to turn and go the exact opposite. We may have to change our focus in life. Change our companions. Change our tongue. Change our activities from being inward focused to being outward focused. Change our priorities. Change our wardrobe. So that our life, the picture of our life, matches to the picture of God. And as we spend time each day examining the Word of God, and our life becomes closer to what He wants it to be, we're going to find every once in a while that, yes, our picture's gotten clearer, and now for some reason our picture's gotten blurry again. And so we have to straighten it back up. You see, it's not, I wish it was as easy as just like you can with a mirror. You go up to a mirror and you wipe all the smudges off, and as long as nobody touches it again, the mirror's always going to be clean. Well, our life is not going to be untouched. And so as we look at our life today and we realize we have to make changes, and we make those changes, then as we begin to study more and more in the Word of God, we realize, okay, there are other areas in my life that I need to, that I need to, to work on. 
and we do our best and we continually keep our life matching to the picture of the Word of God. So, what does the picture of your life show to the world around you? Is it a picture that you're proud of? Is it a picture that you would be proud of the people in this room to see? Is it a picture that you're proud that God is seeing? Because whether I ever see it, God does. I hope we'll think about these things. I hope we'll, we'll, we'll consider a little more strongly as we leave here today to go back out into the world to work, to school, to whatever it is we may be doing. I hope we'll think about when people look at me and how I act, how I conduct myself, what I say, what I wear, where I go, all the things. Are they seeing a picture that, that God shows? And if not, we need to make change. If we want to one day be be in heaven with God, and be if we want to be viewed as a faithful servant of His, we need to make change.